You know, the judgments of God were coming upon the nation Israel, and, and they were very, very pronounced judgments. And they were very, very clear as to why the Lord had pronounced those judgments. I had an opportunity, Connie and I, last night were down at a family research council dinner in, in Irvine, and we had an opportunity to have dinner with Dr. Ben Carson. And so for those of you who know Dr. Carson, uh, he is, I am hoping he runs for president, personally. So, uh, amen. And, you know, the, the whole context of the evening was, what does America expect? You know, we've kicked God out of every single part of our lives as a country. We have removed his name from the public square. Uh, you can go into a schoolroom and you can swear every swear word that you can think of. You can uh, use the Lord's name in vain, in fact, as long as you use it in vain. Uh, but don't dare say, God bless you or Jesus loves you. Uh, that will get you thrown out of class. And, and it was an interesting time as I uh, was listening to him because it was just an articulation, really, of what the book of Amos has, has taught us thus far that you have a choice to make in life. We have a choice to make in life. And and the choice really is to either serve the Lord and have him be absolutely uh, in, in every facet and part of our lives. Uh, he is creator God. He is Jehovah Jireh. He's our provider. He's Jehovah Rapha. He is our healer. Uh, he, he guides the hands of famous surgeons like Dr. Carson. Uh, he, he guides the pens of great authors. He is the one who's behind everything uh, that goes on in the world. And when we remove him from our lives in such a way that we begin to do exactly what he tells us not to do, it's a very, very dangerous place. Now, we have in the first couple of verses tonight something that is excruciatingly important for the body of Christ. And I want to point this out before we get started. There are four woes that we'll see tonight in this particular chapter, and they're very serious. But I want you to notice something extremely specific in the first two. It is through the faithful prayer of one man, Amos, that God relents. It is through the faithful prayer of one man, Amos, that God relents. Don't ever underestimate your own personal place in the kingdom of God if in no other area than as an intercessor before the throne of God. You know, sometimes it's easy to look. As as I was listening last night, I'm going, you know, our, our world is a mess. Our country is a mess. And it's easy to become uh, almost despondent over the direction that things are going. But don't be despondent. Be driven to your knees. Pick up uh, the phone, so to speak, and dial up the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and beseech Him. Talk to Him. Ask of Him. Inquire of Him. Intercede before the throne of grace. And so tonight, a study entitled, What a Vision. And there are four of them. And I pray that the Lord would minister to us, and let's ask Him to do exactly that. Father, we come to You tonight, and we empty out 
the, the things of the day, Lord, the things of this week, as we have come here to the midpoint, and surely things have come into each of our lives and difficulties of all manner, shape, and size. God, we pray that you would just wash those away right now by the power of your Spirit. Help us to be attentive unto your Word. Lord, help us to retain it, God, to remember it, believe it. And Father, we ask you to make us intercessors. God, our our children need our prayers. Our families, our parents need our prayers. Our state needs desperately uh, our prayers. Our our nation, on on the verge, truly, we believe, of, of judgment. And we need to pray. And so God, help us. As we read your word, Lord, to be encouraged to do what we can to make a difference in the world that we live in. We love you. We praise you. We bless you. We ask all of this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our soon coming King. Amen. Amos chapter 7 now as we pick up from verse 1. And it says, Thus the Lord God showed me. So it changes a little bit. You may have noticed a couple of things about the prophets. The prophets very often are, are showing, in essence, the hand of God or the word of God to other people. In this case, here Amos is getting a little bit that's for him personally. And says, Thus the Lord God showed me, Behold, he formed the locust swarms. I was going to sneeze, but I managed not to. Very unusual for me, by the way. <laughs> God bless me anyway. Thank you. He has, he is, I get to be here. For behold, he formed the locust swarms at the beginning of the late crop. Now, I, I want you to picture this in a way that you can understand it. The late crop was the final crop of the season. The late crop was the crop that everyone lived on uh, when the dry times came and when the winter came. The late crop was really the more important crop than the early crop. The early crop was that which was considered kind of the excess. It was the late crop that was harvested late in the season, that was brought into the barns, into the storehouses, into the pot, and the late crop would be the one that actually got you through the remainder of the year. So the late crop is the very important crop. And notice what the Lord does. He says to Amos, he says he's formed the locust worms at the beginning of the late crop. Indeed, it was the late crop after the king's mowings. And so it was when they had finished eating the grass of the land. So this is the the grass that would have fed the cattle, that would have fed the sheep, that would have taken care of the sustenance of the people after the king has received his portion. It is this portion that would have caused the people to to have hope that they were going to make it through uh, into the next season of planting. And as he sees this, he says, O Lord God, forgive, I pray. Now, I don't know how many lengthy prayers you pray. Sometimes I pray long ones. Sometimes I pray short ones. When I'm driving, it's usually short. It's, O God, get them off the road. That type of thing. You know, I, I do pray some short prayers. Like, But I want you to notice a couple of things here in this prayer. It says, O Lord God. It says, Master who is mighty. That's the easiest way to translate that from the original Hebrew. That God who is master, El Shaddai, and God who is mighty. And so he says, the, the, the Lord who is mighty, forgive, 
I pray. He's not demanding. He's simply crying. He's, God, only you are capable. Only you are able. Forgive, I pray. Oh, that Jacob may stand, for he is small. You see, the Israelites believed that they were uh, kind of on the top of the pile. They, they believed that, it, you know, out of all God's people on this earth, that they were the chosen ones, and so they had a special place in God's heart, and they took advantage of it. And can I remind you that that is very often where many Christians land. I've got my grace card. I filled out my little form, and consequently, because I named the name of Jesus at some point in time, that I am myself one day going to go to heaven, so I can live as I please. And that theologic place is taught nowhere in Scripture. But people think it anyway, because they're the elect, because they're the chosen, because they have that special place in God's eye. They abuse the privilege of grace. The Israelites were doing the same thing. That Jacob may stand, for he is small. You see, what he's really saying was, you know, kind of in light of El Shaddai, the mighty one, (laughs) Jacob is small. Notice what happens. And so the Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, says the Lord. One man's prayer over a very huge issue. God's already said, look, I'm bringing the locust swarm. It's coming. You've been doing the wrong thing. I warned you the judgment was going to happen. And God, because of one man's prayer, spares Israel. It's a beautiful picture of the life of an intercessory prayer warrior. And I want you to see it. And so tonight, these four pictures of woe. First, the devouring locust. We're going to see the consuming fire in verses 4 through 6. The probing plumb line, if you will, and the Lord rebuking a priest at the altar. And it sounds kind of like a hodgepodge, a collection of odd things. But as we go through these, and I think you're going to see that the Lord has a very specific reason that these things are listed, and even in this order. And so, this first situation, Israel is spared from the devouring locust. The, the judgment of God is restrained by one person saying, you know what, not on my watch, I'm going to pray. I was talking with my brother yesterday, and you know one of the the difficulties that we have as parents is we raise our kids the best that we can do. We raise them in the Lord, and then they're still uh, they're they're sinners, and they need to be saved by grace. And sometimes they do things that you would look at them and you go, "You didn't learn that. Where'd you get that? Well, how come that's happening that way?" And and we as as parents sometimes attempt to control that environment in such a way that there's, you know, we kind of put our kids in the Christian bubble. We kind of tuck them inside of this, like, if you've ever seen a space ball, it's one of those things where they put a gyroscope in the middle of it and you turn around and they have this plastic bubble around it. That's actually so that you can't get anything on you when the people get sick. But they're inside of this bubble. And we try and raise our kids that way. And yet... They still need Jesus, and they need to own Him as Lord. And so, you make all of the best efforts you can, and you say everything you can say, and you even do everything you can do. You take away the cell phone. 
You remove the video games. You tell them if they go out with that person that you'll steal the distributor from their car. You plant little midget cameras in the back seat. You, you know, you do everything that you possibly can. And at the end of the day, sinners in need of a Savior. Amen? They may be your kinfolk, but they're still sinners who need a Savior. And after a while, your kids can do some pretty kind of cruel things like tune you out. Not that mine have done that, and I'm grateful for that. But it is very often that they do. They tune you out. They don't want to listen. They don't care. They'll look you right in the face and tell you, you know what? That's good for you, Dad. That's good for you, Mom. I don't care. I'm going the other way. Let me give you a little secret. They can tune you out, they can turn you off, but they can't keep you from praying. And it is there that you can gain the victory. They can't stop that prayer. There isn't a thing they can do about it. They can whine, they can moan, they can, they can call it, don't pray for me anymore. You know, I've actually had people tell me not to pray for them. It's true. Bad people, don't pray for me. I don't need it. Too bad. Because you said that, you're going to get more. (laughs) They can't stop you from praying. They can stop you from doing virtually everything else. They can walk away if you're giving... You can be speaking the Word of God. Look, I, I have a message from the Lord. They just turn and walk away. They don't have to listen to you. This is true for the whole world, by the way. This is just a little microcosm. This is just a single picture. The world will do the same thing. Out in front of the Jack in the Box a couple days ago. And there was a guy, and I'm going to be honest, I thought he was maybe in his 50s or 60s. You know, old like me. I, I saw him sitting on the curb, and he was wearing just the tattered, you know, you could tell he had, he had no place to live. Went in, got a gift card, and came back out and handed it to him. And I just, I just, as he looked up, I was shocked. I mean, he was maybe in his 20s. Maybe. It's a young man who looked like he was 60. And I handed him the card and I said, You know what? Jesus loves you. And he said, No, he doesn't. He said, No, he doesn't. That's when you pray. Because that's probably what he thinks. It's probably what he believes. Now, he didn't want to talk. He accepted the gift card with gratitude. But he didn't want to talk about the Lord. Now, I don't know whether that's because he'd heard it all before, or whether he, you know, saw me coming and, you know, didn't like the fact that I was clean-shaven. I don't know. I don't have any idea. But I know this. He can shun me all he wants. He can't stop me from praying. And so I ask his name. What's your name? He says, Mike. I said, Mike, I'm going to pray for you anyway. Just want you to know that. So that when you see the answer to prayer, you'll know that it was God who answered intercessory prayer life. 
can't stop your prayers. Israel was spared. And in this first beginning here, the king's mowings, basically there was a tax. And typically the first mowing in that day and time, they didn't have the automated irrigation that we have that brings forth these wonderful crops. They basically flood irrigated if they irrigated at all. And so the, the first mowing, the king basically got that. That was like a tax to use the land. And so it was only what was left that was for the common folk. And so God sends this plague, and, and Amos says, No, they, they don't do that, God. And God relents. It shall not be, says the Lord. Don't underestimate your ability as an intercessory prayer warrior. Verse 4, For thus says the Lord, now the devouring flame... The God who showed me, behold, the Lord God called for a conflict by fire. And of course, this is looking forward to a time it would be just less than a hundred years in the future when Amos wrote these things of the Assyrian onslaught. And they, they very often, the Assyrians were brutal uh, in every way, shape, form, and fashion. They normally burned absolutely everything. They rarely took a city without burning it. And the reason they did that was so that they would have total subjugation of the population. So I shared with you, they killed almost every male. Uh, if you were a male child over the age of 10 or 12, you were dead, basically, when the Assyrians came. They would take the younger children. They would become sex slaves. And so when they came, they came as a devouring fire. It's important you understand this in context, because, again, through the prayer of one man, Amos, God is going to relent even when the terror of the Assyrians come. Behold, the Lord God called for a conflict. In other words, he brought it. So when people say, oh, well, God, you know, God doesn't ordain. Yes, he does. God ordains at times war. God ordains death. God ordains all kinds of things that we don't like and we don't think he should ordain, but he does. Matter of fact, he's actually appointed a time that each one of us will die. So he's ordained it. Now, the fact that we don't understand that, that we don't like it, doesn't change the facts. God is in charge. He is sovereign in all of the universe. And he wills to do what is his good and pleasure. And so God calls for this conflict by fire. And it consumed the great deep and devoured the territory. And then I said, O oh Lord God, cease, I pray. Oh, that Jacob may stand, for he is small. Notice the repeat. There, there's no way that the, the tribe of Jacob's going to make it. And so the Lord relented concerning this. And this also shall not be, says the Lord God. So a crop failure and an invading army are put off by one man's prayer. The great deep here refers to the sea, and the part of it refers to the part that was promised, really, to Israel. And so this is a picture of God's promised land. They're surrounded by people that do not like them. Sometimes sea in the Old Testament is used as kind of a, an analogous uh, way for us to understand the sea of humanity, lots of people. And so here it is that, you know, the Amos sees what's going to happen and, and says, God, please, no. We need to pray like that. Because I'm telling you, I'm looking ahead at what's happening in our country, and I'm saying, God, please, no. 
Because I don't think God's happy. I think God's upset. I, I, I sent out, Dan and Elsa sent me a report today from what's going on with AB 1266. I mean, you, you have to think about this. You Probably most of you in here signed a petition to overturn that ridiculous bill. An absurd, absolutely, even illogical, forget all the other ramifications, it's just illogical to put men and women in the same bathroom for any reason. It doesn't make a bit of sense. There are not that many transvestites, transgendered people in the whole world to make it so it's okay in California. Okay, Forget all the other arguments. Fully 68, 75%, depends on which poll you look at, of everybody says it's a dumb bill. Some, some polls high as 80% of all Californians across every single geographic, socioeconomic divide, even amongst Republicans, Independents, Democrats, and even the green people don't like this, okay? And they, don't, they like everything. But if you look at what's going on, all those signatures, you realize that almost a fourth of them were rejected? 130-some-odd thousand of them were said to be null and void for whatever reason? I'm telling you, the judgment of God will fall unless we pray. It's got to. How do do we get past these things? By prayer. You've got to pray. There are precious saints that are out doing the hard work Okay, and they are being attacked left and right, middle, top, bottom, and in between. And we need to be praying because if they're if God's going to relent, because God should judge our state. Let me let me be really blunt. God should judge our state, and God should judge our nation. He should do it right now. We've had abortion long enough. He should judge our nation right now. We've killed over 52 million children by abortion. He should judge us right now. And the fact that he hasn't, I believe, is the restraining power of the Holy Spirit through the prayers of God's people saying, Lord, please relent. Give us an opportunity to repent. But the moment the church stops doing that, I think the goose is cooked. The oven door's open. The goose is going in. This also shall not be. And I want to draw your attention before we move on to the role of probably the greatest intercessor. You all know him. His his name is Moses. Numbers chapter 11. And you know the background story here. The children of Israel have been taken captive. They were in captivity in Egypt for about 400 years. During that time, it wasn't a good time for the Jewish people. They were slaves. The graves of those people have been found in what was called the land of Goshen, there in the the plain that is in the Nile River Delta. Graves of Jewish people. Jewish Jewish people have very specific DNA. It's detectable anywhere in the world. So if you're a Jew, you have Jewish DNA. It is distinct from all of the rest of the peoples of the earth, by the way. And so in excavating those graves of Jewish people, 
The wear and tear on their bones was so bad that most of them had no cartilage left in their knees, nothing left in their backs. They were absolutely worked to death. Okay, That's what happened to the Jewish people. They were forced to build bricks, your Bible says, without straw. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever had. I grew up in San Diego County. We used to still build adobe homes in San Diego County when I was younger. And we actually had an adobe block yard in our town in Poway. And you could go there, and you would see they would actually use straw. They took straw, mixed it with mud, put it inside of a mold, and they would turn the mold upside down, let it dry in the sun. If you use the straw, the adobe blocks stuck together. Without the straw, the adobe blocks did not stick together. Now, imagine if you're given a quota to make adobe bricks, blocks. And you're also given no straw. How successful do you think you're going to be at adobe block making? Not very. The penalty was death for not meeting your quota. So you're given a task that you cannot do. The reason I'm telling you this is you need to put this in perspective as we look at Numbers chapter 11. And now, when the people complained, it says in verse 1, it displeased the Lord. For the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. Where are they by the time we get to Numbers 11? They've crossed the Red Sea. They've been delivered from bondage in Egypt. They are in the wilderness. They are wandering in the wilderness. They are being fed supernaturally by God every single evening. The manna comes down from heaven. All they got to do is go pick it up. Contrast that with they were being driven to die doing a task they don't have the proper ability to take. They can't do it. So they've been delivered. Yeah, they're in the Sinai. Pretty hot. Reaches 120 degrees there during the summer now. Don't know what it was then, but probably still pretty hot. But God's taking care of them. The people complained. His anger was aroused. And so the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some on the outskirts of the camp. That was where the mixed multitudes dwelt. The children of Israel were told from time immemorial, do not intermarry. We want you, God says, stay Jewish. And so on the outskirts of the camp, because he couldn't be inside of the camp, in the areas where the tents were lined up, if you took the tabernacle in the wilderness and put it in the center, you had four directions. Those four directions each had three camps. So you'd have Asher, Dan, and Naphtali, and then you'd have all the so on and so forth around the tabernacle of the meeting. And there in that place as the people gathered. On the outskirts, outside of that, was where people who weren't fully Jewish. Maybe they married someone who was an Egyptian. And on the outskirts of the camp, the Lord said, Look, I want to drive this home to you. I'm going to destroy the people who are not like you. And then the people cried out to Moses. And when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. Who was doing the complaining? The Jews. Who paid the price? The mixed multitude. What does Moses do? He intercedes for God's people. And the Lord relents. And so he called the name of the place Terabah, because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. You see, the whiners in the wilderness were spared by the intercessory prayer life of Moses. People always whine. 
people always grumble. And I want to ask you a simple question. Are you joining them or are you praying for them? Are you joining the whiners, the complainers, the grumblers, or are you praying? I hope you're praying. And here's the reason why. The whiners, the grumblers, and complainers forgot about the bondage and they forgot about the deliverance. That is a scary place to be. Don't ever forget about the deliverance that God has done in your life. And do not forget about the bondage that you used to be under before you were delivered. Because if you do, you can start to do what comes next. Notice verse 4. And now the mixed multitude who are among them yield to intense craving. You see, when you associate with the world, you set yourself up to get very, very bad influence. And so the children of Israel also wept again and said... They're not weeping over their sin. And said, who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we ate so freely in Egypt, and the cucumbers, and the melons, and the leeks, and the onions, and the garlic. But they forgot about the whips, and the broken backs, and they forgot about the death, and the disease, and the abuse, and the loss of their families, and everything that was taken from them for a stinking piece of food. When you forget about the deliverance of the Lord and the bondage that you were under, you set yourself up to join the whiners, the grumblers, and the complainers. But now our whole being is being dried up. Was that even true? The answer is no. The Lord was filling them up every single day. He miraculously took care of their needs. They didn't like how God was doing it. Be careful about what you disrespect with regard to how God's meeting your needs. Because you can end up in a place you don't want to go. And there is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. What was the option? Think about it for just a second. What was the option? The option was death. The option was disease. The option was bondage. The option was pain. The option was sorrow. The options were all bad, and they're complaining about the one thing that God had actually done to preserve them. Don't forget to thank God for the one thing. If He wants to give you other things, all His Word says is He's agreed to supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He never said you were going to have cucumbers and melons and meat. Okay? Didn't say it anywhere in your Bible. Anybody can find me a verse that says God's going to give you everything you ever ask for. Let me know it because I want to. I want to teach on it for like ten weeks. I'll just do a series. It's not there. Amos and Moses were intercessors, and I want to just encourage you to be an intercessor. They were spared the devouring locust. They were spared the devouring flame. God shows grace. He relents when we intercede. So intercede. It may look grim. It may look dark. Intercede. Don't give up. It's easy to give up. I I can tell you as a pastor, I was talking to Pastor Jack last night. There are times he wants to give up. Talking with Dan and Elsa. What's going on right now? Not good. It's tough. It's hard. Sometimes you want to give up. 
Don't give up. Get on your knees. Don't give in. Get on your knees. And if that's in actuality, or whether that's figuratively, pray. We don't know what God wants to do unless we ask Him. Amen? Sometimes we forget to ask Him. He wants to relent, but we're not asking for Him to relent. We're praying that David prayer, Lord, just break the teeth out of their mouth. Grind their bones into dust. Man, I'm glad people don't pray that about me all the time. Well, some do. But I pray against them, and I think God likes me more. I don't know. And now we move on to God's judgment being required. So it's averted. Now these two remaining woes. First the plumb line. And thus he showed me, behold, the Lord stood on a wall and made a plumb line. And with the plumb line in his hand, he stands there. Now, we have a tough time. Now, some of us have been around long enough. I'm looking at Rick there in the back and myself. I actually own a plumb line. I have one. Uh, It's not something you see used very often. But uh, back in the old days... Uh, you could build a very large structure with a couple of things. Matter of fact, if you go to Mexico today, you'll see them still use a plumb line. You'll see them use a piece of plastic hose as a level because water seeks its own. So wherever it is on one end, it is on the other. But the plumb line was basically just a weight or a stone on the end of a, of a line, usually a piece of string, and that will always stand plumb. So if you hold it up, you can look down that line. You can then look at your building and see whether it's leaning or not. Because you can't make the string lean, providing the plumb line is not touching the ground. The string's always going to be perfectly plumb. And so this is the picture that you see here. He's got the plumb line in his hand. And he's looking at the world. He's looking at the Jewish people. Come on. You guys are way off. He's got out now... Now move it forward to our day and time. I've got a really nice laser level set. And you set it up in the middle of the room and you punch a little button and it throws a red line all the way around the whole room. So if you want to put up wallpaper, it's just perfect. It's like a laser level. It's the same procedure. You see, it's a reference point. And it's exact. It either is or it is not. And in the building trades... We, we have a saying, the level don't lie. Water goes downhill. So when you're putting in sewer lines, you want it going downhill. The level don't lie, okay? It's plumb or it's not plumb. It better be going downhill. That's why you want something that's absolutely true. Now let me expand on this a little bit. If you take your nice brand new level that you went down and paid $150 for the really nice mahogany ones with the brass levels in them. They're beautiful. They're like pieces of art. I carry them around and worship them. No, not really. But these beautiful levels, I can tell you how to make one so that it's no longer plumb. You drop it on one end. And all of a sudden, you're kind of like, why is my door not fit? And why? It's like tweaked. It's because your reference point is no longer true. Now back to this time. 2,700 years ago. 
They would hold up the plumb line, and the plumb line don't lie. The Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? The plumb line don't lie. And I said, a plumb line. The plumb line don't lie. And the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not pass by them anymore. This is my line. This is truth. It is always truth. And no matter what you do, this is how it shall be judged. In the high places of Isaac, they shall be desolate. In the sanctuaries of Israel, it shall be laid waste. And I will rise with the sword against the house of Jeroboam. And of course, the plumb line would be his word. He says, look, you're the plumb line. Amos, I'm giving you what I want you to say to the people. You speak it to them. He spoke forth the word of God to them. It's going to happen. We call that a foregone conclusion. It's going to happen. The plumb line is out. You're either on one side or the other. You're either absolutely on it or you're absolutely off of it. There's an interesting thing that happens when you establish a plumb line. It will either be perfect to infinity or it will be further off like millions of light years further off the further away from it you get. So no matter how much you deviate, initially it doesn't look like much. Back to the building trade analogy. You know, inside of a little window, you're off a quarter bubble, doesn't really matter. 250 foot long tilt-up building, quarter of a bubble, 10 feet at the other end. 10 feet. The Word of God is a plumb line. If you're off a little bit, it won't show at first. It will show when you get further away from the Lord. And the further away from the Lord you get, the worse it gets. Because here is light, and out there is darkness. And so it starts with just a little bit darker than being spot on. And so the Lord says, look, I'm going to judge them. The moral compass was set. Whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, whether you think it's true or not, God's Word is the plumb line. It's absolute truth in the midst of a, of a world that doesn't like absolute truth. Amen? The world hates absolute truth. You'll be called a bigot. You'll be called a racist. You'll be called all kinds of things if you actually say that God's Word is true. As God holds the plumb line over the nation, He says, they're out of plumb. Now, right now, I happen to think America is way out of plumb. I don't think we're off by a tenth of a bubble. I think we're like two vials and three levels over. And I mean vile like V-I-L-E. I think we're way off. 
but we can intercede and try and get back on plumb, or we can deny that the plumb line exists. And the country is denying the plumb line exists. There is no absolute. No one can know for sure. Yes, you can. God said it. That settles it. You can't negotiate your way around it. Just the same way that you can't negotiate your way around a plumb line. Truth is truth. If you hang it up there, the door goes this way, you're wrong. It's that simple. Rick and I go out to build a house together. I put in the subfloor, and it's all leaning one direction. His plumbing's going to be in the middle of the living room. Okay? That's the way it's going to go. I was wrong. Levels here, you didn't follow it. You gave up. There was a big rock, so you decided you didn't want to move the rock, so you just build whatever you want right over the top of it. Some of you all have some of those houses here in Running Springs. <laughs> it's like, what is that doing in the build-up? You look at it, there's like some big boulder in there. And then, can I tell you, plumbing don't do this. Doors don't do this. And you do this. Truth is truth. And the sanctuaries that are mentioned here were the two chief idol temples, at Dan and Bethel. And they were both condemned to total destruction. Why? Because they were out of plumb. And so now the final, the, the fourth woe here. And then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, the king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel, and the land is not able to bear his words. I'm pretty much counting on that being said about me at some point in time. That rotten Jeff Gill, those Calvary pastors that standing on the Word of God stuff, I can't believe they'd actually do that. And they actually said that there's really such a thing as sin. You get the picture? And that's exactly what was going on here. This is the priest, and this is the ruler of the land. They're conspiring together. And right now there are churches that are conspiring together with our government. Oh, you don't want to listen to those radical, conservative Christians who actually believe that God's Word is true. You don't want to listen to them, because they believe in a plumb line. By the way, Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. He also said that no man can serve two masters. He made it pretty clear. There is a plumb line. And it's him. And he is described in his word. The land isn't able to bear it. Man, it's just, it's just too socially unacceptable. I mean, it's politically incorrect, the things he's saying. you get the picture? Amos was a very unpopular guy in the social world. When his name came, oh, he's that guy from down in that southern pile of rocks. I mean, what would they know? He's a gatherer of sycamore fruit, for heaven's sakes. I mean, what does he know? He's a goat herder. Why would we listen to him? For thus Amos said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword. Did Amos say that? I want you to notice something. He didn't say that. 
He said something close to that. Bear that in mind as we look at the rest of this chapter. And Israel shall surely be led away captive from their own land. He said God would relent. His words were completely taken out of context. And then Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you seer, flee to the land of Judah. Get out of here. Go south where you belong. And there eat bread, and there prophesy, but never again prophesy at Bethel. Shut your trap. Don't you dare ever prophesy. You know, one of the things I love about Dr. Carson is he sat at the National Prayer Breakfast and told our president what for. He said, look, this is the way it is. You may not like it, but this is the truth. Not a popular position. Yes, he stepped down from his position as the head of pediatric neurosurgery at Johns Hopkins University because he wanted to be able to speak the truth. But never again prophesy of Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary. Don't mess with the king. And it's the royal rest. You're messing. You're standing on the White House lawn telling our president that he's wrong? I mean, come on. You would really do that? Yep, I would. If I got an opportunity, I would absolutely tell our president what I think. No questions asked. It's what we got to do. It's what we've been called to do. It's what we have to do. You either believe it, you either believe the line is plumb or you don't. And the reason we're in the mess we're in is because there's a whole bunch of pastors that stand in their pulpits and they change what God's word said so they'll be popular. And they do get popular. God's word says what it says. And then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor was I a son of the prophet. You see, you could go you could go to the prophet school. I know you didn't know that they had one of those, but in Jerusalem there was actually a school of prophets, and they would go to prophet school. It wasn't to learn to be anointed. It was simply to to go and to learn the word of the Lord. But he wasn't a prophet. He didn't come from that line. He didn't have that training. He was a goat-herding sycamore fruit gatherer. Notice what he says. I was a sheep breeder. He practiced animal husbandry and a tender of sycamore fruit. Can I remind you that sycamores don't have a lot of fruit on them? They got a little bit of fruit on them. You got to have a lot of sycamore trees to have much sycamore fruit. But there's a little fruit there, and they're not exactly all that tasty. It wasn't something anybody's. You know, man, when I grow up, I hope I'm a sheep herder and a sycamore fruit gatherer. It didn't happen. That was kind of like. If you bombed out of prophet school, you became a sheep herder and a sycamore fruit gatherer. So he's actually saying, look, I didn't, I didn't ask for this job. And then the Lord took me as I followed the flock. The Lord grabbed hold of Amos. Look, I was just out tending my sheep. I couldn't help but what God said to me. I just believe what he said. Contractor by trade. I just believe what God said. I believe what God said for a very long time. And I've now been a 
pastor longer than I've been a contractor, but I've been both of them simultaneously at times. But I can tell you this. I believe what God said. And the Lord said to me, Go and prophesy to my people Israel. He Remember, there's a north and south kingdom. He's in Judah. He leaves Judah and goes north by about 65 to 75 miles, depending on where he landed. And he says, Look, I've come up here to give you what for. And oh, by the way, I have nothing to lose and nothing to gain. And so here comes the rebuke against Amaziah the priest. And now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. What does he do? He stands on the word of the Lord. He doesn't say, well, you know, I mean, after all, I mean, if you had listened to any of the things I previously said, you would know that I am really popular. Well, he stood on the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel. He's now repeating back what Amaziah the priest has said. He says, you're telling me not to prophesy? Fat chance bub. Do not spout against the house of Isaac. And therefore, thus says the Lord. He says, you tell me not to do what God's called me to do. I'm going to keep doing it anyway. And oh, by the way, your wife shall be a harlot in the city. And by the way, at that point in time, this is the priest at Bethel. That kind of doesn't make you a really good priest. Your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword. Your kids are going to die. Your land shall be divided by a survey line. That means that someone will actually take possession of the other line and it will be legally split up so that you no longer own what you think you own. And you shall die in a defiled land and Israel shall surely be led away captive from his own land. Does that sound like somebody who says, oh, well, you called me this, so I'm just going to change what I think. You're, you're calling me intolerant. You're calling me a homophobe. So I'm just going to change how I feel about it. Even though God's word is very clear, I'm going to just say something else because I sure don't want you mad at me. Family of God, there's one being in the universe you don't want mad at you, and that's Him, El Shaddai, the Lord God. Everybody else, it'll all be okay. It'll all be okay. I'd rather have the grace of God on me than the hand of man. And so here they were just speaking this verbal battle. Now, now can you, I want to put this in perspective for you. Most of you probably know this about the Vatican. The Vatican has its own police department. You know that? They're actually kind of like the, you know, they're kind of like the Catholic CIA kind of. They're pretty stealthy. They're well trained. I can tell you a couple of things you can't do. You cannot stand in St. Peter's Square and shout at the Pope. That's going to happen for about 30 seconds, and then the Vatican police are going to come, and they're going to arrest you, and they're going to throw you in Vatican jail. Imagine how God thinks about it. You don't want to try and shout down the Lord. It's not a good thing. You don't want to tell God's people... Look, we're changing the rules. We don't like how it reads, so we're just going to change your word. The plumb line's the plumb line. The altar's the altar. Grace is grace. The law's the law. 
God said it, therefore I believe it, and that's what I'm going to do. It's not up to everybody to interpret what God might have meant. God said it, we're supposed to simply believe it and act on it. And so in this message, the king is uh, accused, the priest is accused. William Carey, the father of modern missions and Amos had a lot in common. They had a radical boldness for the faith. When William Carey was traveling to India and got on a ship, popular figure, uh, he was not. He was not one of those high society people, and normally people who traveled on steamships, uh, if you were above the lower decks, that meant that you were a person of means. William Carey was granted the ability to be up on the upper deck, even though he actually had a berth in the bowels of the ship. And while he was sitting on the deck uh, one night, he was actually invited to the captain's table, and, and sitting there was a very famous businessman. And that businessman began to talk to him, and he says, you know, I, I, I perceive, I understand, Mr. Carey, that uh, before you decided to become a missionary, you were just a shoemaker. And he said, no, sir, I wasn't a shoemaker. I was only a cobbler. I just simply repaired shoes. And he said, well, what then is your reason for becoming a missionary? He said, because God told me to. That's, that's all it takes. Thus says the Lord. Settles it. It's the final word. That's all we need to know. God has His own school of training. And sometimes He takes guys like me, contractors, and says, you know what, I, I, I want to change your occupation. I want you to go faithfully preach my word. I want you to tell people the truth about who I am. And I want you to be unafraid and unashamed. And I want you to be bold. That's not one of those things that you, you go to school for. That's something that God has to do in your life. Boldness and power come from the understanding that God is absolutely correct in what he said in his word. And so because of that, you can speak it boldly. You can preach it. And so as Amos replies, basically he's saying, look, I'm going to speak what God tells me to speak, and I don't care what you say. That is what we need more of in our world today. People who are unafraid to say, thus says the Lord. And stand on it. I truly believe we can turn back some of these social ills. I think Roe versus Wade could be overturned. I really believe that. I believe that we could do the right thing. I believe that we could still yet have time to honor the Lord. But not if Christians say, I, I don't want to have any problems. Not if Christians say, well, you know, the Bible is an old document and it's kind of like the Constitution. It's a living document. We need to change it to make it more modern. You realize there's more than 50% of all Christians throughout the world believe that's true. More than 50% believe that the Bible is not the inerrant word of God. It's just a good book. And in fact, you'll hear people say, oh, the good book. It's not the good book. It's God's book. This is his story. Those two words together make history, by the way. 
It's his story. He wrote it. He authored it. He gave it to us. We simply need to teach it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, help us to be intercessors and help us to be bold. Lord, we thank you for this time tonight, Lord, where we can be encouraged by your word. Help us to be like Amos, Lord. Help us to be like William Carey. God, help us to to simply stand on the truth of your word and to just simply say, thus says the Lord. God, when you have said it, we just simply can agree with you. We don't have to make it up. You already said it. And so, God, we thank you for the power that that has to transform and to change lives. Lord, it can transform governments and kings and kingdoms. And we pray that your pulpits in this country would be alive with those who are on fire with the truth. God, ignite us. Cause us to be an effective force in these last days. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. And we as your people say, Maranatha, Lord, even so Jesus, come quickly. It's in your name we pray. Amen.